0: Our text today will be Jude, the entire book, it's 25 verses, so we get through it all. As we be praying there, i want to give a shout out to Ken and say good job, she will understand what that means even if you guys don't, she'll be watching later. Uh, let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for this text of Jude. It is convicting, it is powerful, it is nothing new that we haven't seen before in our previous studies. It is very pertinent for today. And Father, I just, I don't know really where to go with this text. I've been preparing it for a while, been rehearsing it in my head for a while, been reviewing it, studying it. And I feel very much like a hypocrite teaching. So, Father, we know that um, you are sovereign, that I'm no different than anyone else, that you are powerful, that you will work. Father, we expect miracles from you. We are amazed when they happen instead of expecting it. But, Father, I truly expect miracles from this text whether they be within me or within members of the congregation sitting here or online or wherever it may be, I expect miracles to come from this text today. Father, help me stay focused. Uh, I like going down rabbit trails. I've been distracted by many things in the past couple weeks. Help me stay true to your word, true to the intent of your word. Uh, Help me stay to the point. And Father, I pray for those that are watching, that are listening, that are sitting here, that you would prevent us from being distracted as well, that you would help us understand what you're trying to say. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Jude. uh, Let's just read through the text and start. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother James, to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long before, beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord after saving a people out of the land of Egypt subsequently destroyed those who did not believe and angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode he is kept in eternal thoughts under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they, in the same way as these, indulged in gross immorality, and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Yet, in the same way, these men, also by dream, defile the flesh and reject authority, and revile angelic majesties. But Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these men revile the things which they do not understand, and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. Woe to them! For they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the air of Balaam, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are men who are hidden reefs in your love feast when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees, without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the blackness has been reserved forever. It was also about these men that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied saying... Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and convict all of the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way and in all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, finding fault, following in their own lust. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining advantage. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ that they were saying to you in the last time there will be mockers following after their ungodly busts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are doubting save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and forever. Amen. Okay, what do we know about you? Jude is a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. What does that mean? Brother Jesus. Yes. Jude was also a half-brother to Jesus. But he does not mention that here. He says he's a servant of Jesus and brother to James. How did, did Jesus' brothers treat him early in his ministry? Horribly. you said they mocked him, ridiculed him, belittled him as often as they could. And yet here, Jude does not even acknowledge the fact that that's his brother. He's too humble to acknowledge the fact that Jesus is his brother. If it were me, I'd be wearing a baseball hat that says, Jesus is my brother. right? Maybe we all have the t-shirts and hats and pins and logos. Jude was his half-brother. But he's too humble to even admit it because he knows what had happened in the past. He knows how holy Jesus is, and he is not. Okay. To those who are the called, verse 2. What does it mean to be called? Who called? Christ called. God called. The God. Holy God called. Can you say no to the calling of God? No. Not a chance. God called. So Jude is writing not to a a church, not to uh, a specific group of Christians like Peter did to those who were scattered. Jude is writing to those who are called, to other believers. He says, to those who are the called, Beloved in God, the Father. Not just God, not just the Father. God, the Sovereign, the Creator, the Holy One, who did the calling, is also the Father. So you have that near and far perspective, the great holy God we can't approach, and yet he's our Father as well. i a Father, close and nearby, that we can have that relationship with. So Jude is ready to those <clears throat> who are called, they're loved in God, the Father. There's a bond, a relationship there. Okay? So far? Key word coming up. And kept for Jesus. What does keep mean? What does it mean when something is kept? Preserved. Preserved. Held on to. Held on to. Is it protected? If I were to give you a family and room of yours, would you just set it on the shelf and forget about it? Stick it in the back shed? Take care of it. It's precious. It means something. So here, right in verse 1, to those who are the called by God, loved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus, who are they kept by? Who keeps them? What's it telling us? God is keeping us for Jesus, and it's not just Jesus, it's Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the appointed one, the one who God said would come, the promise, keeping promise, making God, sent his son, Messiah. You see sovereignty working here? We talked about sovereignty back in Job a couple weeks ago. You see all that right here in verse 1? God is the powerful, sovereign one, orchestrating Okay, just in the introduction. Let me read it again. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus. Who made him the bondservant? What's the context? By By the calling of God. Okay. He's a bondservant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James. To those who are the called, also called by God, just as he was called as a bondservant, loved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus the Messiah, Jesus Christ, And then he says, may mercy, peace, and love not just be given to you. I don't want you to have mercy, peace, and love. It needs to be multiplied to you. Can you think of any other text where Jesus specifically talks about things being multiplied? sevenfold. Think of some of those? That's multiplication. Not just adding. He's saying blessings that you can't even possibly imagine. All this is going to come to you. Mercy, peace, love, multiply to you. So, in his introduction, he is overwhelming us believers with God's sovereignty, with God's ability, with God's storehouse waiting to work on us. Then he goes to verse 3. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation. So what's his intention of writing this initial letter? What's his theme? Salvation. Salvation. It's encouraging. I want to encourage you about our salvation. I want to remind you how much Jesus loves us. About his death, his burial, his resurrection. God's love for us is so immense. But I felt it necessary to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. So something has happened. We don't know what. But something has happened in Jude's thinking to prompt him to change the entire direction of his letter. So, it's important enough to Jude, it's important enough to God to communicate this through Jude to us And what is it that he says is so important? Break yeah. right, the first three. Yeah. 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 To contend earnestly for the faith. What does it mean to contend? Fight. To fight. How hard do you fight? War. It's war yeah. to the end. The whole way. You don't throw in the towel. You don't tap out. So Jude is telling the listeners... I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend, that you fight, that you battle earnestly, not half-heartedly, earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. Saints is another word for the called, for the believers. Because, verse 4, for certain persons, he never mentions names. And I think the reason he does not mention names is because this book isn't big enough to hold all the names that he would be mentioning. One of which could be mine. Or yours. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. So, he's challenging the listeners to contend for the faith. There's a battle going on. Contend earnestly certain people have crept in unnoticed. Staying with a battle theme, war, fighting what kind of people creep in? Spies. Spies? Are they undercover? Can you tell they're spies when they creep in? Do they carry big signs and banners? Do they wear their own country's uniform? No. They look just like us. They talk like us. They know what we know. They can interact on any level with us at any time. They know scripture. They know doctrine. They know theology. They know the right answers, the Sunday school answers. They've crept in unaware. We haven't even noticed. Those who were long beforehand, the those of these people that have crept in, they were long beforehand. Does that mean before they were born? Yeah, keeping in context with all the way back up in the beginning of verse 1 the sovereign God long beforehand these people were designated for this task they were marked out for this condemnation ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master the Lord Jesus Christ so these people that creep in what is their primary goal what does the text tell us Pervert the grace of God. What do you know about the grace of God? Steve, that's a lifetime study. I don't have enough time today to tell you about the grace of God. It is, for real, a lifetime study. If you take nothing else away from this message today, start studying Grace. You will never come to the end of the world. If you don't know grace and what God is talking about with grace, then when certain people creep in and they pervert God's grace, you don't have a clue. Dare I say you may be one of those that are perverting grace because you don't know what it's about. Verse 5. Now I desire to remind you. What does the word remind mean? Is it new? Is this new information? No. Am I sharing new information with you today? No. We've been through, not necessarily through Jude, but we'll see this is all through scriptures. This is old information. The apostles have been teaching it over and over and over again. It's even been taught all through the Old Testament, which he is going to point out to us. His desire is to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of Egypt, who did he save out of Egypt? Israel. Were there many of Israel? Possibly millions. Okay. And who brought, who brought them out? What does it say? Specifically? The Lord brought them out. The Lord? Steve, you have an ESV by chance? Yes. What did Jesus. you say? Jesus. Jesus. Specifically, Jesus, Jesus, not just an active Old Testament God. Specifically, it was Jesus, the Lord, that brought these people out. If I may say, this is the text, one of the primary texts that remind us that that the pillar of fire by, by uh, night, the cloud by day, was Jesus reincarnated. Yes. A very important text. Yes. We could take our time and go back in through Exodus and Deuteronomy and the entire Old Testament to pull all this stuff out. For the sake of time and it's one of those rat trails we can't go down uh, save yourself some time go to 1 Corinthians 10 as it in a nutshell these people the Israelites when they came out how were they described what type of people were they do you remember God's chosen people. they were God's chosen people and how did God describe them stiff neck what else stubborn, stubborn. <laughs> how did they respond stiff they were stiff neck like me. They were like Steve.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Probably more so than what we would like to admit. They were like me, though the neck is not like Steve's. Were they grumblers? Have any of you ever grumbled? You like wearing the COVID masks? Do they make you grumble? Mm-hmm. They were complainers. They were never happy, never satisfied. And what did God decide to do with them? What does it say in the text? Verse 5. Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, Jesus Christ, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. How many of the people that came out of Egypt did he destroy? All of them, two all but two, Caleb and Joshua. Pretty significant. By the way, all those potential millions are part of this group that sneaks in, creeps in, unaware. That's what he's talking about, those that creep in unaware. God destroyed them. Verse 6, And angels who did not keep their own domain But abandoned their proper abode, he is kept in eternal bonds after darkness for the judgment of the great day. Even angels, God is going to judge. He is sovereign over all of them. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they, in the same way as these, indulged in gross immorality, and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example of undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. These three groups, and Jude is, take the time to study Jude. We are not going to do an in-depth study of Jude. Um, not at all today. He does a lot of groupings of three. You see three things over and over and over and over again. Three situations here from the Old Testament. He has two more groups of three coming up. But they're given to us as an example. The people he is writing to primarily in, this, in that time period were Jews who understood the Old Testament. We have been kind of removed from that, although I love the Old Testament. I share it every time I can with you. We're really removed from it. There's a lot that we don't understand. But these three groups, we, in this group, are pretty familiar with. We're familiar with the children of Israel coming out and the punishment. We're familiar with the angels, fallen angels, how all that happened. And we're pretty familiar with what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. It's not things that we want to say that... Those three groups don't really represent us as a group of believers, do they? I mean, we're redeeming grace, Baptist church. We're not Sodom and Gomorrah, Baptist church. Although, Jude says back in verse 4, certain persons have in. He doesn't say they're going to. He doesn't say you may find one or two. He says they have and then he starts describing what they look like. They deny the grace of God, and here are some examples. So guess what? We can change our name. We? we can be something more about Baptist Church, because this is us. Strip away all the facade. This is us. Verse eight. Yet, in the same way, these men, also by dreaming, where are they getting their source of information? What is their authority? Themselves. Their dreams? Themselves. Their own wicked way? They defile the flesh. They reject authority. They revile angelic majesties. But Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a ruling judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Michael, the angel, didn't fall for this traps. He just, God's going to deal with you. I mean, God's going to deal with you. But these men, which men? Way back up to verse four, four, ones that creep in. But these men revile the things which they do not understand, and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals. By these things they are destroyed. What are the instinct? It says by the and the instincts which they or the things they know by instinct. What is the instinct? What's that talking about? Sin, their natural being, natural fallen man. Okay, verse 10 again. But these men revile the things which they do not understand. Does natural man understand the things of the spirit? No. Do we understand God? Not only a little tiny bit, just a tiny bit. They do not understand at all. And the things which they know by fallen man instinct, like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. they destroy themselves. Verse 11. Have you heard this statement before? Woe to them. Where have we heard that before? In Matthew 24, woe to you Pharisees. Woe to you Pharisees. How many times did Jesus say that? Seven, eight times to the Pharisees specifically? So these people that are creeping in, there is a direct link here. This woe to you. To the Pharisees, to the scribes, Jesus also called them hypocrites, they're in our church. They are our church. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the of Baal and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Again, we can jump back in the Old Testament. You can do a study on these people. Um, we're pretty much all familiar with what Cain did, right? Remember what Cain did? Told his brother. Uh, verse 12. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feast, when they feast with you without fear. What's a hidden reef? You can't see it. Can't see it. It's underwater. What, what does it do to ships? Destroys them Rips without the warning. Rips the keel out. Destroys them. No hope for it. They're decimated. There's a lot of places where, when a ship is gonna go into the harbor, the ships have to wait out beyond the reef, and they have to hire a local to come out and captain the big ship in, because he's the one that knows the way through the reefs. Hmm. But these men, who are these men? <laughs> the verse 4 ones that have crept in okay. and he gives us this illustrations of all these horrific situations through the Old Testament of these men the woe to use that Jesus said to the Pharisees, scribes, the hypocrites these men are hidden reefs in your love feast what was a love feast? kind of worshiping time of corporate worship of Jesus remembering the sacrifice and they're there celebrating and worshipping together they're hidden reefs they're waiting to rip the bottom out from us and not only are they there They're there without fear. Why are they without fear? If you're a spy and you make it into the opposing general's war cabinet and you're sitting in his conference and all these plans are being laid out of how they're going to attack and you're a spy for the enemy, are you going to be afraid the entire time that somebody's going to rat you out? Or are you going to be there boldly and proudly just like everybody else because you're part of this group I alone. Something in the back of your head is always going to be looking out, making sure nobody catches you, making sure you have an escape, because there's a fear factor. Not these guys. Not these guys that have crept in. Why is there no fear? all the way back to verse 3 because nobody's contending against them if if Christians are contending for the faith if they're delving deep into the grace of God as soon as somebody who is not comes walking in and starts saying anything foreign to that we're going to know it Oh, oh, oh. What, what did you just say? That's not what scripture says. Where'd you, remember Steve you say all the time, where'd you get that? Where would you get that truth? Who told you that? But I think as a whole, we don't challenge anybody. Where do you get that from? So they have no fear. Nobody challenges me. I can say what I want. I can deny grace. Be subtle. Start small. Jesus was a great teacher. I I I really struggle with him being God. Subtle. Do we challenge that? Do we confront it? He's telling us here, contend earnestly. Fight for it. Listen for it. Observe it. Don't let them come walking in. Challenge them. Don't let them come to your love feast without fear. They're caring for themselves. uh, Steve, I think ESV says they're shepherding. Um, Verse 12. Uh, They're hidden uh, in the Shepherds feeding themselves. Shepherds feeding themselves. Gives the connotation that it's even in the pastorate, even guys filling in for the pastor, deacons, elders in the church. I recently heard of a man who was sitting in a deacon meeting. An issue came up with a one of the other deacons and his work. And one deacon told the other deacon to go to work and lie about the situation. Was never confronted about. It's in our churches. Uh, continuing in verse twelve, there are clouds without water carried along by winds. But the concept here. He's going to give a couple more illustrations. If we're in a drought. What are we looking for? Rain. rain. Back in the 30s, they had the Dust Bowl out in uh, Oklahoma, the Panhandle of Oklahoma. Every day they're out looking. They're looking for rain. We need rain. Big, dark thunder clouds come over. Yes, it's going to rain. Finally. And it just passes by. All that hope and gone. These people bring the promise of hope, but so there's no reality. Uh, autumn trees without fruit go to an apple orchard you can't wait to pick some great juicy apples so apples. it's a false hope same with me. continue on through that um, th- they're, they're doubly dead uprooted wild waves of the sea have you ever seen the waves down at the beach when there's a storm coming and all the foam that gets churned up and it doesn't do anything they're wandering stars the dark blackness has been reserved forever some more illustrations it was also about these men that Enoch in this section I don't know where he's coming from with this I know he has some extra biblical historical writings that he drew from I think Paul does it as well I'm not sure where this one's coming from Uh, that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied saying behold the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones with a purpose What's this purpose going to be in verse 15? To execute judgment judgment upon all. What does all mean? All all. All means all. He's going to come and execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. You notice a phrase that keeps coming up here? Ungodly. Ungodly, which means there is no Godly. God in them. There's no godliness in them. These people, way back in verse 4, that have crept in, they're ungodly. There's no hope in them. They're just waiting to tear us apart. <laughs> And then he describes it. In terms that we can relate to. It. It's not just Old Testament. Not just allusions to somebody else. For these people, <clears throat> verse 16, these that have crept in, that are ungodly, they are, what's the first word? Grumblers. Grumblers. Anybody say ouch? They're finding fault with other people not themselves. I mean, we don't do anything wrong. None of us, right? There's other people. Following after their own lusts, You referred to that earlier, their own dreams, they speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. So what's their driving force here in verse 16? Who are they looking to glorified themselves. Is there any (laughs) glory for God whatsoever? Verse 16. None. Ungodly. Verse 17. But you, beloved. I love how Jude puts this in here like three or four times. This is not a deep, dark, desperate, letter he's writing. It's a letter of hope and encouragement. But you, beloved, ought to what? Remember? remember? We started the letter with remember. Try to remind you. Again. Remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do we have any of those words recorded for us anywhere? Yeah? Can you think of any Titles to any of these texts that he's talking about? Like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Galatians. Second Peter. Second Peter is a sister companion to this. It's like almost word for word, some of it. Timothy. Remember the words that were spoken beforehand. By the way, if you don't know those words, you can't remember them. If you haven't studied those words, if you haven't ingested those words, let those words dwell in you, you can't remember them. Does everybody remember all their chemistry classes from school? I never had chemistry, so I can't remember them. But you remember all of your chemistry lessons? Not unless you got any chemistry. It's just like a periodic table of elements. Can anybody fill that in now? With all the additions, uh, it was useless information. We did it because we had to take tests, test, pass the test, forget Is that how we treat scripture? Week after week after week, Steve or Andrew or myself fill in, we open the scripture, we share it, oh, it's great, oh, damn, yeah. Oh, yeah. pass that test. Check, I'll move on. Does it fit into our lives during the week? last week, or are you the same person Saturday night or Sunday? Does it make a difference, or are we the ones that are creeping in? We're learning the vocabulary, we're learning the doctrine, we're learning the theology. We can say the right things when somebody confronts us. We, yeah, I know how to get out of that one. I just say this; they won't bother me anymore. Remember the words. Study the words. Verse 17 again. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, apostles is plural. It wasn't just one. The apostles, as in all of the apostles, they were all in agreement. The apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. That word mockers, uh, actually I read it in the ESV, Uh, it's uh, scoffers, so depending on which version you have. That's what really started me on this study. Didn't seem to fit. I'm a Charlie Brown fan, love Charlie Brown. If it could go wrong, it would go wrong for Charlie Brown. When Charles Schultz created Charlie Brown, had a good thing going, but he knew he needed somebody that Charlie Brown was always, everything went wrong for Charlie Brown. He needed somebody that things went right for. He needed the opposite. that uh, what they call it, the yin yang or whatever? He needed the opposite. So he developed the character of all time. You guys know who it was? Snoopy, right? Everything goes right for Snoopy, even as the Red Barracks playing probably shot down. Everything goes right for Snoopy, but not for Charlie Brown. And if you remember in the Christmas program, Charlie Brown's Christmas, they send Charlie and Linus to go out and get a Christmas tree. They finally bring in this decrepit thing. What do all of his classmates do to Charlie Brown? They berate him. They laugh at him. They mock him. They scoff at him. They're all laughing. They're all laughing at him until he walks out of the machine. That's how we typically think of scoffing and mocking. but That doesn't sound like the context here, does it? I mean, Judas is saying some harsh things of these horrific people. They're in our church. They're waiting to destroy you. They're waiting for you to bring in that poor Christmas tree so they can laugh at you. Does that fit? So, I tried looking up the word in Greek. I don't know Greek. I tried looking on the internet, trying to figure out what it all means. And in the New Testament, there's only one other time that word is used. And it's in the same passage in Peter, where Peter's saying the same thing. So, it really didn't help me any. So, I figured, you know, Steve always says context is king. Why well, I look on the internet. Yeah, why is Steve. Context is king. So let's let's get the context, which is what prompted me to get this message for you today. In the last days, as what the previous apostles had said, there will be mockers coming. We're scoffers. What does that look like? Well, he already told us. The scoffers and the mockers are the ones that creep in. They sneak in. They're ungodly. They're not going to be outright laughing at the Christmas tree. They're going to put their arm around you and say, it's okay, let's go try it They're
1: going
0: to laugh. Because then they'll be found out. So it's not like our concept of mocking and scoffing. I don't know why they use that phrase. I don't know what phrase they could use, except one he's going to give us here in a little bit, which really blows me away. But they say in the last time there will be mockers or scoffers following after their own what ungodly lusts back to the dreams the ungodly dreamers the ungodly lusts these are the ones by the way he's talking about the ones that creep in these are the ones who cause divisions where do they cause divisions within the church. He's not talking about politics and protesters and murders and riots. He's talking about in the church. They're causing divisions in the church. You want to keep your church from having divisions, we need to study the word, specifically as he points out here in verse 2. We need to learn about mercy and grace and love. And earnestly contend for the faith and grace of God then we'll be able to identify those that are coming in with a desire to cause divisions they're worldly minded they're not spiritually minded if you try to have a spiritual conversation with them they will deflect to crisis of COVID or whatever and then this phrase Devoid of the Spirit. There is no God in them but themselves. By the way, these people aren't out there. They're in here. So, all through Jude so far, he's been telling us about these horrific people that are going to destroy the church. Watch out for them. They're not coming, they're here. And then he gives us verse 20 and 21. But you beloved, there's the word beloved again. This is what this is how you deal with it. Okay? These people are coming. Stay in the word, study God's grace. Building yourselves up on the most holy faith. What is our most holy faith? What's our most holy faith? The gospel of Jesus Christ himself. The gospel of the Jesus Christ that takes death and makes it alive. Who he himself died and rose again. Came in this morning, and of course we have machines on the side, which cracks me up. Kevin Churchill, a lot of machines over there. And all the CPR equipment back here. Like, this, perfect. It's perfect. Our society that we live in today is all about entertainment, sustaining life. Which, first aid isn't I get that. I'm not downgrading that at all. What's our text talking about today? Is it talking about enjoyment and sustaining life? Or is it talking about a God who takes the dead and gives them not just life, but new life in him? Is that what he's talking about here? Right? Verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on the most holy faith, the faith that Jesus, who has already done that, for himself, raised himself raised us as well with the promise that he is returning and he will complete what he has started he has given us a new heart he has taken our dead heart, given us a heart that's alive and soft to him given us ears to hear remember see preached through that one, back in Hebrews right, he is telling us the same thing that Hebrews is telling us today today is the day while you're hearing this you don't want to be that scoffer There's no middle ground. You don't want to be devoid of the spirit. You don't want to be ungodly. We know how they end. We we saw it way back here in uh, verse 5 with the people that came out of Egypt and were destroyed. If we're children of God, that will not be our end. If we're children of God, verse 20, building yourselves up on the most holy faith. So, my question is, how do we build ourselves up? Is it something I do myself? No. What do I need? I need the Spirit of God. And who, does this, who and what does the Spirit of God work through? God's Word? And other believers. So can I isolate myself and build myself up? Is that how God intended it to work? No. Uh, was it Ephesians? We're all to be together, building each other up. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. By the way, this is not talking about tongues or anything like that. Praying in the Holy Spirit, he's referring to, as Steve has said, not praying for any of those He's saying, praying for things that are in agreement with the Holy Spirit. You're talking to a sovereign God, as we looked at in verse 1, who is waiting to give you mercy, peace, and love. Why would we pray that I don't get a flat tire on the next road trip? We're talking about a God who rescued his people out of 400 years of slavery to bring him out into the wilderness so they could glorify him. They mumble and complained the whole time and he destroyed all but two and was glorified in the process. We're talking about a God who takes dead and brings to life. What What is our prayer life like? Verse 21, keeping yourselves in the love of God. Is that word keep again? He uses it a few times through here. Keep yourselves in the love of God. If it's a precious gift, how do you keep it? <clears throat> you just set it aside. You embrace it. You're embracing it. How do we deal with the love of God? I mean, every day, not just when we're together and we talk about it, how do we deal with the love of God? Are we overwhelmed? that this God would send his very own son take my place, take your place, so that when he comes in judgment, when he judges all, and he looks at you, is he going to say, condemned? Or is he going to say, I see Christ. You're mine. I love you. Or is he going to say, depart from my Keep yourselves. Work at it. It's an active keeping. Yourselves in the love of God. Waiting anxiously. By the way, this waiting, it's not like you're sitting on the train platform station waiting for your train to come. Waiting for your next show to come on TV. Waiting for COVID to be over. That's not what this waiting is. But this waiting isn't waiting what? What's the word after waiting? Anxiously. anxiously, you're eagerly looking for something. I was driving Linda crazy this morning. I was anxious to come. I felt like I had overprepared. I had all this, and she's like, "Just breathe. Just breathe. Relax." So I was anxiously waiting for ten o'clock. Let's go. Are we anxiously waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ? Or do we not really understand what mercy means? We say it. We haven't really studied it. We haven't embraced it. Verse 22. If you're doing verse 20 and 21, <laughs> verse 22 and 23 will follow. Okay? It's not like this is what you have to do next. This is not a list of things to do. Jude does not give us a checklist, it is not a three point study. If verse 20 and 21, verse 22 will happen. Have mercy on some who are doubting. Okay. I just told you, Jude gives us two groups of people there's the scoffers. There's those that are creeping in, okay, they're ungodly, and there are those that are called the saints. So here he says, have mercy on those who are doubting. Which of the two groups does doubting fit into? Saints? The ungodly. Any ideas? You're going with saints? We have two different perspectives to consider. This is the mercy one. One is God's perspective. God knows all. God is the one who has determined. God is the one who has set these people up from beforehand. He knew beforehand that these people were going to come, when they were going to come, and who exactly they were going to be. God called his saints. Beforehand, predestined, right? We talked about that before. Do we know who those people are? Only by what they reveal to us by challenging them, contending. So when he is saying here, "Have mercy on those who are doubting," we have to assume that they are, in our view already saints who are questioning like Rusty, you just went through all this Jude and I I don't get it. Okay, get out of it. let's walk through this. Or possibly there's someone who is not yet a believer. In God's world, in God's thinking, they will be but in our timeline they are not yet. Okay? So these next three groups, again it's a group of three, have mercy on those who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. What's the fire? What's the fire referring to? Hell, judgment. And on some, have mercy with fear, hitting even the garment polluted by the flesh. What's the fear he's talking about? <coughs> Christians aren't supposed to be fearful. So why is he telling us, have mercy with fear? One, you don't think, or two, you don't yes. Yourself. In the process of trying to rescue somebody, don't fall under the same sin Guard yourself. And how do you guard yourself? In the word. With other mature believers. Help me. Come with me. I need to rescue somebody. Do you need help? Verse twenty two again. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some, have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. By the way, do we know what category these people may be in? Either one of these three? No. Every situation is different. Don't know. Our responsibility is to be faithful, to act, to contend earnestly. A couple of weeks ago, I shared with you from the book of Job about God's sovereignty. Two words, two phrases. I did not specifically say I alluded to them, but I did not specifically say dealing with God's sovereignty. Is God is sovereign in creation? Big God sovereign. He's also active today. Do you see that here? God's sovereignty and who He calls, who's elect, who's not. He's active because he has allowed certain people to creep in. He has not allowed everybody to creep in. He is not allowing Satan and the hordes of demons to knock over the gates of the church. It's the church, I understand. But he allows certain ones to creep in. He's active. But there's also our responsibility. We don't know. Anybody's heart. I don't know Ken's heart. Okay. I deceive my own heart. My own heart deceives <clears throat> me. But we need to be engaged, be involved. Verse twenty-two: Have mercy on some who are doubting, save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Verse twenty-four. Now to him. Who is the him? Any idea? Got a capital H. God. Jesus specifically. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Do you know why Jesus is able to keep us from stumbling? It's not like of an illustration. It's not like we're running down a road with a friend and there's a pothole out in front of us and we just inadvertently stumble into it because we didn't notice it. Exactly. Guess who put the pothole there? Jesus. Guess who put that stumble hazard in front of us? The sovereign Jesus who loves us. So he can help us from stumbling because he knows it's there. He put it there. He is able to help you, to keep you from stumbling, and to make you stand. This blows me away. This God, this sovereign God, this all-powerful God has one main goal. And if you miss it in this text, I apologize. I blew it. His one main goal is for us to glorify him. That's his goal. Some were destroyed in the wilderness for his glory. It's a signpost, a warning for us to do that. God's sovereign. God's a glorious, majestic, magnificent God some people he uses to lead others to God in glory so here he is saying three things about saving others Now, uh, verse 24 to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in his presence won't that be amazing to be able to stand in the presence of God but he doesn't end there You're going to stand in the presence of His glory. Full glory that we can't even comprehend. We'll be able to stand in it. But He's not done. We'll be able to stand in the presence of His glory. What's the next text? What's the next word? Blame us with great joy. Because we did such a great job, right? Pat yourselves on the back. What's he talking about here? We're going to be able to stand in his presence, blameless, with great joy because what? Because who? Because of Christ. Because the one that as believers, as those that are called, as we Contend for the faith. As we keep ourselves in the love, as we build ourselves up, as we pray in the Holy Spirit, we're going to understand more and more and more all about the one specific contra- attribute of God, the concept of God, the picture of God, of Jesus Christ and his love for us. And you know, he died for you. He didn't have to. He chose to. Think that's amazing? And then, I feel like one of those info commercials, but wait, there's more. He says, brother, I forgive you, Oh, by the way, I am God. And all that is mine is the Son of God. You can have it. I have you. Wow. So, my question for you today for your scoffer, we've worked on this concept many times. Haunts my scoffing. Am I embracing Christ's love? Am I studying grace of God? Am I building up brethren? Am I allowing brethren to build me up? Am I more interested in politics or things that cause division in churches? the color of the carpet, which we don't have to deal with here. Silly things that we fight over. That's my challenge. Are you a scoffer? Are you called? Are you one or the other, but you may be down? To give benefit of the doubt. Jude says the scoffers are here. They've crept in. We don't have to worry about sneaking through. They're already here. By God's plan. It's not against God's plan. Part of God's plan. Don't stumble over them. God's able to keep us. That was a prayer. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your text, and I thank you even more that you are able, that you are sovereign, that you have a plan, that you are a God of love. That you set it all in motion for your purpose for your glory for us to glorify you father forgive me and as much as I can ask you to forgive us for not trusting you for not believing you for being scoffers our only hope is Christ's blood for repentance to examine ourselves to see if we truly are scoffers or God I hope we're just doubters we just need someone to come along and help Father, I pray most of all that you will do what you're going to do and that we will glorify you in the process. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.